welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. I got a question for everybody. Were you there? Were you there when the king got rejected by his own people? Were you there? When he sent them out in pairs because they were equal, were you there? When he was mistaken to be John the Baptist's sequel, were you there? Were you there when he fed thousands on the green grass, were you there? As he trampled on the water as he intended to pass, were you there? When he broke illnesses as if they were glass, were you there? That is a summary of Mark 6, which we'll be reading today. That was smooth, wasn't it? It's cool. All right, Mark 6, here we go. It says, he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do mighty, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief and he went among the villages teaching. Jesus leaves Galilee, he goes to Nazareth, which is his hometown. And he goes with his disciples, and when Sabbath comes, they go to the synagogue, as every other Jew does, and he's teaching. And those in attendance who are listening, they go, hold on, wait a minute. Where did he get these teachings from? Where did he get this wisdom from? How is it that he could be doing these mighty works with his hands? That's Mary's boy. They were amazed at first, and then it clicked. That's Mary's boy. We know him. Since this was his hometown, the people responded differently than in other towns because the Nazarenes knew him. They knew he grew up blue collar. They knew that this was a man who worked with his hands. And in this time, leaders didn't work with their hands. They had slaves to do that. So it's no wonder why the people go, how can this carpenter be doing all of this? He's no leader. That's Mary's boy. We know him. For them to call Jesus the son of Mary was actually an insult. Lineages were traced in this culture through fathers, so the identification would have been Jesus bar Joseph, Jesus the son of Joseph, but that's not what they call him. Forgive me if I'm wrong here. I might be reading into the text a little bit, but oh well, here we go. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that they're calling Jesus illegitimate. Hear me out. Nazareth is a small town. And they didn't forget that, G, that Joseph and Mary got married and then all of a sudden little baby Jesus came. Timelines didn't match up. It sounds like they're saying, Jesus, you're the son of Mary because we don't know who your daddy is. Now forgive me if I'm wrong. That's what it sounded like to me. But little did they know this was the son of the living God. They sure didn't know who his daddy was. They don't know him. 
These people sat in this synagogue blinded by their own supposed familiarity with Jesus. And we know, we know his mom and we know his brothers and his sister. He left as a carpenter and now you're telling me he's a rabbi with disciples? Yeah, okay. Truth is, they had no clue who this man was. And as painful as this was, Jesus accepted this rejection as a price a faithful prophet must pay. This was his home. Imagine how that felt. These are the people that are supposed to cheer for you the most. They know you, right? They're supposed to be on your team. And they don't find you credible? How do you think that feels? Some of us here, you, you got people in your own household who don't believe in you. You got people in your own schools or your own job that don't believe in you. You got people in your own friend group that don't believe in you. These are people that Jesus grew up with, that he built things for, that he sat at the table with. And they say, that's Mary's boy. He was taken back by their unbelief. And his work was limited. It's not because he didn't want to. It's that it was toxic. Unbelief is toxic. So we went on to neighboring areas and he taught there. And he, he healed some people. Verse 7, it says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for the journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics, which is like two shirts. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. The shade. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So Jesus brings his squad together, and he gives them authority, and he says, go do what I do. On one hand, Jesus can only be at one place at one time. So he incorporates them to partake in his ministry. And at the same time, he's preparing them for what's going to happen when he leaves. He sends them out as pair, in pairs, not as lone rangers. And let me, let me, let's chat for a moment. You can't do this by yourself. You think you can follow Jesus all by your own? Lonesome? Good job. Like, let's see, what, let's see how far you get. It's not designed. You won't make it by yourself. I don't care how strong you are, how talented you are, how skillful you are. This isn't about you at the end of the day. You and of yourself aren't capable of not doing anything in this kingdom. Let's be honest. Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? I don't care how often I get up on this stage and I talk to y'all. I can't do this without the spirit of God, without the authority of Jesus. I can't do this. So he sends them out in pairs. And we all have the privilege of participating in the work of Jesus to spread his kingdom. If you try to do this by yourself, you won't last long. Not even Jesus had a Lone Ranger ministry. He did it with 12 dudes and changed the world. Jesus tells them to travel light, and I'm sure part of the reason is because they were supposed to be dependent on God, but I think Jesus was aware of what was going on in his day. Certain speakers would go around traveling with a bag to collect money, ulterior motives. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This gospel is free of charge. You're either with it or you're not. So what does he tell the disciples to do with, for the people who are not? He says, you know what? 
when you walk in that town and they reject you, shake the dust. To shake the dust off your feet was to disassociate yourself with a place. Jesus says, I don't care where you go. It could be a Jewish place or a Gentile place. If they reject you, shake the dust. Now, in Jewish culture, when you step into a Gentile area, you had to shake the dust off your feet in order to step back into the Holy Land. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I don't care where you step, even if it's a Jewish area. If they reject you, if they reject this message, shake the dust. Jesus was a bad boy. There weren't any hotels, so they had to rely on people's hospitality. If anywhere rejected this message, shake the dust. So they go out and do what Jesus was doing. They are in his authority. They call people to repent. They casted out demons and they healed the sick. When's the last time you did any of that? When's the last time you went out with another believer and casted out some demons? I'll wait. When's the last time you went out with somebody else, anointed them with oil, and watched them get healed? When's the last time you called somebody to repent? I don't want to offend them. I don't want to judge. I hear you. But come on, dog. We got work to do. I'm going to keep going. Verse 14. Oh, yeah, by the way, we're getting through the whole chapter today, so uh, get with it. Here we go. King Herod heard of this, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been risen from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers were at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So Herod who's a wannabe king, hears about Jesus, and he thinks he's John the Baptist back from the dead. He's terrified because he got a guilty conscience. He just chopped dude head off. This book is crazy. So some people say, hold on, wait. No, 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 no. Jesus is just prophet Elijah. It said that he was supposed to come back before the Messiah comes. And others go, no, 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 no. This, this is the prophet that Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy 18. Herod's going, oh my God, if this is John the Baptist, I'm screwed. He got a guilty conscience. The story unfolds in the following verses, so bear with me. It says, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. So his sister-in-law, because he had married her. We're going to come to that in a minute, holy Right. Okay, for John has been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. 
And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. She came in immediately with, a haste, with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me once, at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. What? I, I get on us about this all the time. We approach this book like it's casual. Did you listen to what I just read? This is our scripture? Young lifers, this is your scripture. You read this thing, and you're going to think this is crazy, because it is. Unless I'm packing. We got a situation here. Herod has an affair with his sister-in-law, and then marries her. Scandalous. And then John the Baptist, as bold as he was, goes, Herod, that ain't right. You're sinning against God and you're sinning against your own family. That is your brother's wife. And I think part of the reason why John the Baptist isn't afraid to speak up is because Herod wants to be the king of Israel, but John knew he prepped away for the real king of Israel. There was no space to play games or leave anything unspoken because he served the real king. When you know who you're in alignment with, you got a boldness like no other. As a result, John gets locked up, and Herodias, who is now the wife of Herod, wants John the Baptist dead, but because he called them out. But Herod is terrified to actually kill John, and he has mixed feelings about him. So Herod's birthday comes around. He has a big old party. And back in this time, a birthday party was a pagan thing. So what would happen at the birthday party is men would get drunk, and then a prostitute would be brought in to give a dance like a striptease or a lap dance. And something, oftentimes things would get sexual and they would have orgies. It would get crazy. So here's Harry with his top-notch friends. But this isn't a prostitute. This is his stepdaughter slash biological niece. What are we reading? Like, And he's so aroused by this dance that she does that he says, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Even if you want up to half my kingdom, it's yours. And he's delusional. You don't even have a kingdom. You own one-fourth of what your daddy used to rule. What kingdom are you talking about? And after he says this to the young lady, she goes to her mom because she doesn't know what to ask for. Her mom exploits her to get back at John. She uses this opportunity. She says, go ask for his head to be cut off and bring it on a platter. That's disgusting. And Herod hearts, his heart shatters when he hears this request because he couldn't go back on his word and he wanted to save face before his friends. So he goes through with it. Now do you see why Herod thinking this is John the Baptist back from the dead is a big deal? Hold on. First of all, how did his head get back on his body? That's what I would be thinking. <laughs> this book is crazy. 
And let's stop to the side for a moment. The prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all, finds no place in this story. Jesus himself says that out of all the people in history that women have given birth to, John the Baptist is the greatest. That came out of Jesus' mouth. You don't believe me? Read like Matthew 11, verse 11, I think. He says he's the greatest born to woman. But what happens to John? He gets his head chopped off for doing what? What God called him to do. Following Jesus, obeying God might go bad for you. We don't want to talk about that. Come to Jesus and everything's going to be okay. That is not true sometimes. Sometimes things won't get better in this life. Sometimes things might just continue to go downhill. And that might sound depressing, but what happened to John? He's doing exactly what he's called to do and he gets his head cut off for it? Are you serious? Where's his sailboat? Where's his concubines? Where's his stylish robe? Iced out in purple. He gets his head cut off. <laughs> Come on. Where's his prosperity at? You tell me, since we like to Americanize everything. Where's the prosperity in this story? He's obedient to God, and he gets his head chopped off at the request of a stripping girl at a birthday party of an incestuous wannabe king. Are you kidding me? We'll, we'll come back to this. Okay, verse 30. Here we go. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this, oh, wait, this, wait, what? Oh, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. We all know this story. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And, talk, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces in, the fi in a fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So here you got about 10,000 plus people it says 5,000 men specifically, but imagine wives and kids and all of that stuff. You got 10,000 plus people, I'm estimating. I'm probably right. <laughs> and the apostles come from the towns worn out after all the ministry they've done. So they hop in a boat to go somewhere to rest. And before they can go anywhere, the crowd pops up. And Jesus looks at them and goes, oh, poor babies. And he has compassion on them. 
and he teaches them. After some time goes by, the apostles go, okay, can you send them away so they can go take care of the needs elsewhere? Like, how human are these disciples? We do the same thing. We see a need, and we say, how about you send them away? The best way to get rid of the need is to get rid of the needy, right? Isn't that, ain't that what we're supposed to do? We got a lot of need in our city. And we just want to push people away. Some of us in this church have need. And we want to push each other away. Because that's easiest. We all get exhausted and... and, and and the best way to deal with it is just to push it away. Out of sight, out of mind. But praise God, Jesus isn't like that. Could you imagine if you looked at humanity and said, uh, I'm exhausted from all my creative godly work with the universe. I'm just going to push away these humans. His response to them is give them something to eat. And they go, we don't have enough money to feed all these people. And he said, how much food you got? And you know the story, five loaves and two fish. It was lunch for people of two. This was a two-person lunch. So Jesus says, cool, everybody sit down in groups of 50 or 100, and he takes the food, he looks up to the Father, he gives thanks, blesses, and breaks. He doesn't bless the food, the food's already blessed. Blesses the Father, and he says, thank you. And he breaks. This is a foreshadow of of. Of, of, the, of the Last Supper, where he's sitting at the table with his disciples, and he says, this is my body. He blesses the bread, and he breaks it. He says, take this. And it's a foreshadow of the cross, where he's blessing those who are killing him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he breaks. We don't care. Let's, let's check. Do we care about the crucifixion? Do we care about communion? People die in this book because they come to the table real casually. Did you know that? I'm not saying you're going to die today. I'm just saying, that's how casual do we take this faith? We, I went on a rant last time I preached. Here it is again. We come here comfortable in a structure that's easy to do. And I'm going to come back to this at the end of this message, so get prepared. What are we doing? He blessed and he broke. He feeds thousands because he does this miraculous work. Verse 45 says this. Immediately he made his disciples get, how am I doing on time, Mike? I can't tell. Oh, I'm Gucci, huh? Praise God. Here we go. Immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, and after he said, after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, which is about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for all saw him and were terrified. 
But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got in the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. So Jesus finally tells everybody to go home, and he sends the disciples to the other side of the sea. Then he goes up to pray. He knows where his source of strength is. Time goes by, and he sees the disciples struggling to row the boat. This trip should have been short, but it took all night. And when Jesus sees this, he says, okay, it's time to go. So he's walking on the water. And he, he sees the boat, but he's not destined to go to the boat. He meant to pass by them to go to the other side. Now, allow me to do something weird. Pay attention, okay? I'm going to throw, pay attention. In Exodus 33, verses 18 to 23, I'm not going to read it. Moses is begging God to show him his glory. Show me your glory, show me your glory, show me your glory. And God goes, okay, I will pass by you and proclaim my name. But you can't see my face because it will kill you. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to cover you with my hand, and until I pass by, you'll see my back. Okay, Moses? Moses goes, all right, cool. In the following chapter, in verse 30, chapter 34, it happens. And then Job, Job 9, verses 4 through 8, Job is describing God as this marvelous being, and in verse 8 it says, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. In other words, who walks on water. Jesus is the God who walks on water. Jesus intended to pass by the disciples as God intended to pass by Moses. He states, it is I, as God proclaimed his name to Moses. Is that making sense? Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is the God who passes by and proclaims his name. So how do the disciples respond? They got hard hearts, and they're thinking about the loaves of bread. The whole, out of everything they do, they're thinking about the bread. Bruh. All right, last couple of verses. Verse 53, it says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they, were, they heard he was. Wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they, may, that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched, it were healed. Long story short, Jesus is Lord over nature. Jesus is Lord over illness. Jesus is Lord over creation. This is my last section. I'm going to shut up. I want to introduce you to this concept of a marking sandwich. It's a literary device. So everything from verses 7 to 13, think of it like a top layer of bread. Okay? 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 Okay. Cool. Ooh, who said? All right. Thank you, Naya. So what happens in that story? Jesus sends out the disciples. Verses 14 to 29 is like the meat, cheese, lettuce, tomato, everything you like on your sandwich. John gets his head cut off. 
That's not a good way to summarize that. <laughs> and let's think of verses 30 to 44 as the last piece of bread, which is about the disciples coming back to Jesus. Now, John's execution in the chapter six, in Mark 6, it seems out of place because out of nowhere, you're talking about John getting executed, but the disciples are just being sent out. John gets executed, and then the disciples come back. It seems out of place. Mark is pretty intelligent in his literary device. Pay attention. You're in school, okay? Summer school. Here we go. It, it, it would have made sense for verse 13 just to flow straight into verse 30. Because they leave and then they come back. So why does Mark talk about John's execution out of nowhere? It's because this is about mission and martyrdom. Think about story A, story B. Story A is when he sends them out on mission. And then they come back from that mission. Story B is about John the Baptist being martyred for his faith in God. John, the point is, John the Baptist is the example of what will happen to Jesus himself and the apostles and many followers who come after that. You align yourself with the mission of Jesus and God and the Spirit? Welcome to persecution. In the early church, when you claim to be a Christian, when you claim to be a resident of the kingdom, persecution was around your corner. And here we are at Imago Eastside, chilling. Let's check. Here we are, chilling. This reality is still true for many people around the world that claim to follow Jesus. And here we are comfortable. I'm not saying we got to go outside and get our head chopped off following Jesus. But let's realize where we are. This ain't a game. You think following Jesus is a game? This isn't just some box that you check. This isn't just some lifestyle that you acclaim to. This is reality. You say you follow Jesus? Prove it. Why are you, why are you here? Why am I here? Honestly, the realest part of the church, being the church for me today, was when we surrounded our sister. That was the realest part of church today, of going to church. We don't go to church, we are the church. Imago Eastside isn't a thing if none of us are here. We're not gonna look at David Douglas High School and go, you know what, look at Imago Eastside. If you don't show up together, there is no church. You guys, I'm going to call y'all out real quick. I was one of y'all. Young lifer. That's how I started following Jesus. And I thought, okay, I said yes to the prayer. I said yes to following Jesus. And now what? You guys have great leaders. I know them personally. And what are they doing? They brought you here, right? That's discipleship. The only reason I'm on this stage is because people like that said, you know what, I'm going to invest in this kid. You're not kids, young people, sorry. Young adults. So I'm going to invest in that young man. You want to know why? 
because I want to see him follow Jesus. That is why I'm on this stage preaching the word of God. How crazy is that? A 17-year-old, I was 17, a 17-year-old kid from Philadelphia is now preaching the gospel in Portland, Oregon. Because some people said, you know what, Thomas, I believe in you. You know what, Meraki, I believe in you. You know what, Kaylee, I believe in you. David, it's David, right? Oh, ooh. boy, you had me scared. You're looking at me like, don't get my name wrong, dog. I believe in you. Miriam, I believe in you. This is why, this is why, that's church. What y'all doing on a Monday night? That's church getting together. That makes sense? I'm going off my notes. I don't even care. What we did for our sister, that's the church. So when we come, I'm going to be right back up here next Sunday. So when we come back next Sunday, let's not do this normal thing. We come and sing songs you guys consume, I consume, and then we leave. What are we doing? We are plan A. There is no plan B. Kaylee, you know where that's from. It's David Platt. Make sense? Everybody stand up. Take a look around. Snap that neck. We got to be committed to each other. Whether that's to our sister or to our brother who's in the hospital, that means we take responsibility to help take care of our brother and our sister. Or it could be the little ones in this crowd. We all going to help raise them. Or it could be we're all going to invest in these young adults over here. Take one more look at each other. We got to do something different. Because this normalized thing that we do, it ain't going to work. The world isn't going to believe that Jesus was really sent by the Father unless we act like the church. We are the witness. Amen? Amen. Oh, let me pray. My bad. <laughs> Father God, thank you so much. Um, thank you that we just get to... We get to be the church. We have a privilege of being the church. You called us. You made us one. Help us to live in our unity, not just talk about it or claim to it, that we actually live in that body. If you are an eye, be an eye. Don't try to be a hand. If you're a leg, be a leg. If you're bone marrow, be bone marrow. If you're blood cells, be blood cells. If you're... Brain synapses. Be, no, you're not in the head. I'm sorry. That's Jesus. But you get what I'm saying. <laughs> be a part of the body that you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.